This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, George Toman talks about Be Not Afraid, the life of St. John Paul the Great. How did John Paul II become a priest in a communist nation? Why was evangelization a large part of his pontificate? What can we learn from his suffering? Well, let's find out. George is being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Cody Marincer. Creation. Welcome on, Mr. George Toman. Um, I would like to introduce George just a little bit here. As I said, uh, this is George Toman. He is currently a doctoral student at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, studying special education. He's a graduate of Fort Hayes State University and has contributed to the One Body Show here on Divine Mercy Radio, and he even hosted a past carathon. George has a passion for sharing the faith with others. George, this is kind of a little bit of a role reversal for you and I. Last time uh, it was uh, myself on the other side, so how are you doing today, sir? You know what? I'm doing well, and I'll just quickly say you are already starting off a lot better than I did because I think I hung up on the first caller twice uh, <laughs> when I did it, so you were already on a good job, so good work there, buddy. Well, just keep the prayers coming. <laughs> Thank you. Great to have you. Okay, George, uh, today we've got you on, and it looks like uh, we've uh, got a wonderful topic for you to start us with, and that is the life and legacy of St. John Paul the Great. Yes, and, and again, thank you for, for having me on, and, and greetings to everyone in our listening audience from, from Lincoln, Nebraska. You know, when, when Danetta gave me a call and asked if there'd be a topic to speak on, and she mentioned the topic, Be Not Afraid, immediately, just immediately, Cody, you know, I thought, this is, um, you know, this is, you know, something about John Paul II. I got lucky that I beat out a lot of others who are much wiser <laughs> than I am talking about St. John Paul II, St. John Paul the Great, um, because he's meant a lot in my life, and I know for a lot of people in our listening audience, you know, we were alive when he was alive, and, and he is considered uh, what I would consider a consequential pope in the sense that when you think and see the, the word or the phrase John Paul II, you automatically think of something special. And so uh, I want to start us off by quoting his opening homily. This was at his uh, installation mass in, in 1978, um, and this is kind of near, a uh, little bit near the end, and, and here's a little subscript I want to read for the audience. He said, Brothers and sisters, do not be afraid to welcome Christ and his power. Open wide the doors for Christ. To his saving power, to his saving power, open the boundaries of states, economic and political systems, the vast fields of culture, civilization, and development, do not be afraid. Now, as we'll get into a little bit here, it's important to, to remember that at that time, the Eastern Europe was still under communist control. We were just coming out of, you know, we were still in the Cold War at that time. Um, it was still very alive and well. And you have this Slavic pope, this first non-Italian pope in, in over 400 years, Say in front of the entire world, do not be afraid. And any totalitarian or oppressive regime functions on fear. And John Paul II, Pope John Paul II at that time, just immediately kind of did a side punch, if you will, and said, no, do not be afraid. Open the doors for Christ. And really, that's his message to the world, be not afraid. We have 
multiple people talking about, do not be fearful of your vocation, do not be, be fearful of the world, do not be fearful of this or that. And it's all really based on what he said at that moment, right? That, that idea that Christ can, can influence everything. So what we'll do this morning for a little bit is, is we're going to kind of unpackage the life of John Paul II and also some, some pieces of his legacy. And so just for starters, uh, John Paul II, um, his, you know, that's his, his papal name, his, his real name, if, you know, if, if we were friends with, well, you know, if we were friends with him and, and talking to him face-to-face, um, his name was Carol Joseph uh, uh, Wojtyła, um, being from Poland, and he was born on May 18, 1920, in, in Wadowice, Poland. He died April 2, 2005, and, and for those who may remember, that was a Saturday. It was actually Divine Mercy Weekend. He was beatified May 1, 2011, and then he was canonized um, on April 27, 2014. So there was a three-year split between his beatification and canonization, and that's a very quick turnaround, as, as many of us know in the Catholic Church, to go from blessed to officially being titled saint, uh, but with a man of such uh, great influence on the world and great virtue, there is no surprise there. And his feast day is unique. It's October 22nd. Usually in the Church, feast days align with person's death, especially if they're a martyr. Um, but with, with John Paul II, they chose, Holy Mother Church chose October 22nd because that fell on his installation day, the day that he was first installed as Pope. A couple comments just on St. John Paul II's early life. Uh, his father, um, Carol Sr., was a lieutenant in the Polish army. So ever since a young age, uh, John Paul II had a deep love and appreciation for uh, for discipline, for order. And when I say discipline, not only the sense of military discipline, but also his father was very spiritual, and so he, he taught his son how to pray and, and use the prayers of the Church to help guide his daily life. And that really was part of his formative success um, as a future leader. His mother, Amelia, unfortunately, died when, 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 he, when John Paul II was only eight years old. And as we'll talk a little bit later, John Paul II had a deep, profound love for Our Blessed Lady and and the Rosary. And there's been some talk that because of John Paul II suffering his mother's death at such a young age, that Our Blessed Lady was a big contributor to his success as well, because he really relied on her for that maternal comfort um, that he may not have had during some of his other formative years. John Paul II had an older brother named Edmund, and he became a physician, but he died about four years at late after John Paul II's mother died. So, again, in this dynamic, you have this family of four. You have, have, have Carol, John Paul II, you have brother Edmund, you have mom and dad, and literally within four years, right when John Paul II was about 8 to 13 years old, both of them passed away, mom and brother. So now it was just his father and himself living in Poland at that time. And again, there's... You know, one of the things that's nice about when you study the, the saints is these people have a life that is very similar to our own. So for anyone who has had uh, a, a mother pass away at a very young age, or anyone who's had a brother or a sibling pass away, you could turn to these saints for help because they went through it on earth. And again, like I said earlier, John Paul II was, was very influenced by his father, lived that disciplined life not only in, in, in civil order, but also in, in his religious observance. But one thing that cannot get, be forgotten about John Paul II was that he was a very smart and active 
young boy and man. So he was not only valedictorian of his class, but he was also big into soccer, uh, football over there, right, in Europe. He was big into academics and drama, and that was also going to, to form his later, his later life. When he, he first started going into uh, the, the university in Krakow right around 1939, and for those very in tune of history, you know that September 1st, 1939 is a big date because that's when Nazi Germany came and invaded Poland and broke their agreement. And so Pope John Paul II was right in the middle of that terror. And in fact, the universities were all shut down and all the professors were basically put um, into camps because the, 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 the Nazis did not want this, um, this idea of Polish culture to be thriving. They wanted to put their own totalitarian regime in, if you will. So what happened is that John Paul II turned to, to clandestine studies, underground studies, if you will. And he really focused on the culture of Poland, really focused on language, focused on drama. And in, and in fact, he was in uh, multiple plays and multiple other kind of secret uh, groups, if you will, that really helped keep Polish culture alive. I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because there's not enough time, but if we were to study Polish history, the Catholic influence is imbued deeply into Polish culture. And because of that, when you think of a, of a regime like, like the Nazis, that's a very, very bad thing to have that culture exist. And so the, the Nazis really tried to, to destroy that. John Paul II, along with some of his other, uh, his other uh, uh, friends, all tried to, to keep this beautiful culture of, 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 of Poland alive through this underground movement, if you will. And also he was influenced by, by lay people. There was actually a, a youth minister in, in a local church who introduced uh, Carol Boitou at the time to St. John of the Cross. St. John of the Cross, this, uh, this Carmelite mystic that many of us know, and that's where he really gained this deep spirituality, John Paul II later, when he got his uh, one of his doc, he got two doctorates, I believe. One of the doctorates that he received uh, was actually looking at how uh, the importance of faith in the eyes of John, uh, Saint John of the Cross, and so the spirituality that he was able to obtain amidst the suffering of the the recently Nazi invaded Poland is huge here because that shapes his his later parts of his papacy. Um, Carol went, decided to go into seminary in the fall of 1942, in the fall of 1942. And one of the things that was important here was that the seminaries are basically shut down, at least, at least in terms of the visible eye. And so, again, like those clandestine studies we talked about earlier here, Pope John Paul II received his early formation as a priest underground. It had a very similar feel to like the, the, the catacombs, if you will. So like in Rome, um, you know, well before 300, you know, if you were Christian, you were persecuted, right? And so people would go underground in the catacombs to study the faith. That's also where the, the Christians were, were buried. But nonetheless, they went to study the faith in the catacombs. And that's where we get that word of catechumen, right? They, they come from, you know, they come from those, um, from the catacombs, from their study, um, and are arisen anew, if you will, through their baptism. Well, this has a similar feel. His, John Paul II, in his priestly formation, had to go literally underground in his studies to learn about the priesthood 
in a time when, when obviously priests were not welcomed, and in fact they were usually killed. And so he did his studies secretly behind the enemy lines, you know, away, uh, away from the world, and that was his formation. And again, it really helped later on in his life, because as he, when he became Pope and he started to deal with these totalitarian regimes as the leader of the Holy Catholic Church, he used some of those skills that he learned from communication and dialogue and learning what to say and how to say it, and of course, obviously, beautifully testifying to, to Jesus Christ. He used those experiences that he learned in seminary and, and applied them in full force, if you will, when he became, he became the Pope. The thing about John Paul II was that he was truly a philosopher. He was a lover of language. He was a lover of life in general. Very, very smart man. Anyone who has read any of his encyclicals, and Cody could probably attest to this a little bit, you know, like you read Veritati Splendor or some of those others, you will know very quickly that you get through about three pages, and unless you're already above average compared to the rest of us, um, you probably get to sit after those three pages and go, what did I just read? Like, you know, so <laughs> dense, so rich, so philosophical. George, you're but, so right. But, um, if you don't mind me yeah. I'm saying something there really quick. Um, yeah. You know, you are so right. I, I have uh, his book, uh, Love and Responsibility, um, and I've tried to read through that twice now. <laughs> and each time, you know, I make it through yeah. about a couple, uh, 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 about halfway through, you know, or something. And, and it, yeah, I just go, wow, this is a struggle. But um, as you're talking, you know, um, I think the Holy Spirit speaking definitely through you this morning because there are so many people that, uh, you know, um, find things difficult, uh, myself um, included. And uh, sometimes we just back away uh, because, well, I, you know, it causes pain and I don't want to have to have pain. But yet you, you made the point that um, suffering causes success. And also, you've mentioned several times um, his love of um, studying, of learning, and that I think we're so blessed in this country that sometimes we take it for granted that uh, our studies uh, don't become one of those things that we actually love, but they become one of those things that we disdain. And that, that's a problem because we look at this uh, wonderful saint and we see that uh, he was actually persecuted. Uh, he could have been killed for learning what he was learning. And so I thank you for that. Yes, no, th- no thank you for that. Cody, because, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it, it's really, it's quite impressive in, in the literal sense of the phrase about what John Paul II did in the time that he did it. Because when you think of his courage, and we're going to get into it more here before the end of the hour, but when you think of that courage, that conviction of faith, that ability just to communicate to the different populations, you know, he was able to go to a poor country and be able to speak very intelligible and passionate to them, and then the next minute go to a very philosophical, intellectual crowd and be able to also stun them as well. Obviously, a little bit of the Holy Spirit, as you mentioned, Cody, is there to help kind of fashion that. But the fact that John Paul II was willing to do those things really is a great model for today. And a little quick shout-out to Catholic Radio here for our listening audience, for those listening in the as you're going to work or as you're getting ready um, to drop your kids off and whatnot, this is the power of Catholic radio is that if we don't feel that ability to be able to be persuasive or be able to say what we need to do, I'll just quote 
Father Fred Gatchett, you know, because because you know when he told me this when he was when I was back there in Hayes you know, back in in twenty twenty twelve, and I still hold it to this day. He would always tell people, "Hey, listen to Catholic radio for a week, and then come back to me." And usually, after after the week was over, any argument or any kind of thing that needed to be settled was settled because it got covered within that week. And so, you know, I think that's the power of the ministry that we have. And again, as so, so Cody, you mentioned love and responsibility. That was kind of his. One one of his magnum opus works, if you will. I know magnum opus doesn't have multiple there, but nonetheless, it was one of his his major works, um, looking at uh, uh, morality and 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 sexual ethics. And you know, it was very profound because as a, as a priest, he was always ingrained with young people. It's, it's one of the most important parts of his pontificate. Is he understood that in order for the Catholic Church to truly be a influence in the world, an influence in the world, excuse me. The young people had to be involved, and it wasn't involved in maybe what what some would was considered today in the sense of the you know the the feely good the feely good Catholicism and stuff like no like like John Paul II was with the youth he was with the the people and because of that uh, the, the young people really looked to him and in fact later on in his life when he instituted the uh, the, the three to four years of having World Youth Day. That was a big piece of being sure the church was alive and well, is to appreciate her, her youth. And so here's this priest from Poland talking about things like sexual ethics, morality, uh, literally playing, playing soccer, going camping with, with the youth, and, and, and people were kind of impressed, right? That wasn't, that wasn't atypical for the clergy at that time. And also, again, thinking back to his intelligence, he was a big contributor to the the writing of Humanae Vitae, which which discusses um, the importance of human life and also the dangers of contraceptives, abortion, etc., and and the fact that John Paul II was an, an influencer um, pro Humanae Vitae also shaped later on what the and what his papacy would ultimately bring out in terms of really uh, supporting the dignity of all human of all human life. So. Obviously, with a man as successful as that, usually people find ways to, you know, to kind of get you elevated in the hierarchy. That's a very simple way to put it, because the Holy Spirit's in charge of that. But I will say, though, that he did get a lot of attention. And so, so eventually, John Paul II became bishop, and then he became the Archbishop of Krakow. And that's where he really started to get attention in the universal church. So again, remembering, you know, just a reminder to us all, the the... Europe at that time, especially Poland, was still under, now at this time, communist control. And now what was happening was the, the, the lay people were struggling in their work and their finances and were trying to build this universal effort um, that eventually got to be, to be called Solidarity uh, to support the, the workers in light of the oppressive Russian communist regime. And so John Paul II was literally there with the workers. He literally chose a side. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more from George Toman on the life of St. John Paul the Great. We're back on One Body Stewarding God's Creation. One body, 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 one body,
be not afraid. The life of St. John Paul the Great. With George Toman. Cody Marincer conducts the interview. I don't know necessarily where we broke off, so just for our listening audience, kind of where we were at, we're talking about John, John Paul II, right, right when he was Archbishop of Krakow and how he was supporting the workers. And so, again, thinking of that scene, he, he, he was in a, a communist-controlled area in Poland, and he chose to be with the marginalized. He chose to be with the workers. And that's a big thing when you have a church leader saying, I'm going to choose this side. I'm going to choose the poor. I'm going to choose the impoverished. I'm going to choose those who are being oppressed. And obviously that causes issues if you're a totalitarian regime. And that was something that the Russians noticed. The Soviets noticed at that time was this guy was supporting basically who they wanted to control. And so throughout his life, especially his pontificate, John Paul II really focused on helping the marginalized, the oppressed. And so I'm thinking about things like being sure to help the poor, being sure to help those in need within the church, being sure to to recognize and embrace the dignity of women. That was huge for him, very huge. And that comes from his original days of some of the, the, the morality teaching that he did at the university and also just being with young people. And so all those things really formed him to be this very important pope in the history of the world. And so, the again, talking about his time as Archbishop at, at Krakow, beating up a little bit, he becomes a cardinal of the Church. And again, cardinal simply means that you have not only an extra layer of leadership within the Church, but also that when, when the Pope passes, you are now, as long as you're under the age of uh, 75, you're now uh, eligible to also uh, vote and contribute in the conclave for the next pontiff. So that's why that cardinal title is, is, is also very important. And... Um, really, when it was October 22nd, 1978, when he was elected as the, the Pope of the Holy Catholic Church, that was following his, his predecessor, John Paul I, who was only there in the office for 33 days. So it was called basically the, the Summer of the Three Popes. Um, essentially, in, during that summer of 1978, and John Paul II, and like I say, the very opening comments really set this stage for "Do not be afraid." I'll, I'll quickly say, as soon as John Paul II became Pope, he immediately put into action his desire to evangelize the world by testifying to the power of Jesus Christ. And so he immediately started traveling in 1978 to places like Mexico, the Dominican Republic. 1979, there's been films made about this during his first visit to Poland as the pontiff. It was huge, very big in terms of his, his influence. And I, and I want to share a little line from that mass when he was there in 1979 in Warsaw. And this is what he said. It's one of my favorite, favorite things he's ever said in, in his life, and there's a bunch. Here's what he said as part of his, his homily, He's, and this is near the end. He said, Today, here in Victory Square, in the capital of Poland, I am asking all of you, through the great Eucharistic prayer, that Christ will not cease to be for us an open book of life for the future, for our Polish future. And I cry, 
I, who am a son of the land of Poland, and who am also Pope John Paul II, I cry from all the depths of this millennium. I cry on the vigil of Pentecost. Let your spirit descend. Let your spirit descend and renew the face of the earth, the face of this land. Amen. Wow, what a... Literally, you can hear a... uh, Yeah, go ahead, Cody. What a beautiful... You know, just sitting there listening to that, contemplating that, um, how can you... How can you not understand in him the uh, just the absolute heartfelt gratitude for what he's been given, and then also the the call for him to go out and evangelize this world, and you know the call he gives to us. Oh, absolutely! But yes, go, you know that. So that line, and especially going near the end, you know, let your spirit descend, let your spirit descend, and renew the face of the earth, the face of this land. One of the things that is is really big about this moment, about John Paul II's ministry, again, this was literally just a year after his installation as Pope, and he goes into Poland, goes into literally a, a communist-controlled country, and says, I am not afraid of you. <laughs> like, I am not afraid of what you can do, because I know that Jesus Christ is, is with me, and so you've got to deal with it. And that kind of courage, again, does not come from from human reaction alone. It it comes from this deep, embedded faith. This is why Holy Mother Church, and I know, Cody, you teach this, and at least allude to it to to your students, that Holy Mother Church teaches us intently, get your prayer life in order, get your life in order, because that is where Christ then can literally delve himself deeply within you, and then the vocation almost becomes secondary, to be honest, right? Because all of a sudden you have that grace, you have that influence to be able to go into the world and do things that you never thought was humanely possible. And that's correct. It's not humanly possible to testify to our Lord about the, the greatness of our Lord Jesus Christ and the triune God. Yeah, but it's kind of like if you, you, know, yeah, yeah. you know, if you go, you know, just to kind of give a, a little bit of a um, an example here, maybe as you're saying yeah. that, it's go. like if, if I was building houses and I showed up um, and I said, well, uh, where's my saw? Where's my hammer? Where are my nails? Where, you know, where's the electrician? Mm-hmm. Um, oops, I didn't come prepared. The house is not going to get built. Um, and so I've, I thank you very much for that because that's, a, that's an immediate testament to if we don't prepare, if we don't bring our gifts uh, first, if we don't uh, bring the tools necessary, then uh, the, the house is going to fall. It, it, it will not stand. So thank you, George. Yes. No, you, no, you bet. No, absolutely. And again, it's, it's, it's just a nice reminder, especially for today, especially when you look at kind of where our world is, there is a competing influence of what power ultimately has authority. And you know, I don't want to get into conspiracy theory or anything like that, but the facts are that, yes, you know, there, there's a lot of division going on on multiple layers. But if we remember, especially as, as Catholics, and for anyone who's Christian, you would also fit into this period because Catholics are Christian. Anyone who holds that, that message of Christ in their hearts, going back to this message of what Pope John Paul II was saying, be not afraid. Do not be afraid to open the doors wide for Christ. If we feel smushed, if we feel that we're in a world where, you know, Christ cannot be, you know, cannot be alive. Again, we're, we're approaching, we're in Advent, we're going to be approaching the Christmas season. How many times have we heard, keep Christ in Christmas? 100% true. But we, but the best way that we, could, we can do that 
especially if we feel powerless, is to remember that the faith that, that Christ desires to have within us, that relationship of love that he desires to have within us, we work on that, and we can be unstoppable, regardless of whatever society or whatever government's over us or anything like that. And that's the kind of thing that John Paul II, especially today, and maybe the biggest message that I could share, especially within our times, is why do we want to emphasize our faith? It's not to try to show the world that we're better than they are. No, not at all. We're sinners. We're wretched sinners, and we need God's grace. But the reason why that we want to grow in our faith and do so in the way that God has asked us to grow is because by doing so, we are able to be a countercultural witness in such a way that we may not have political power, we may not have the money, we may not even have the prestige. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, because that faith that we have literally outshines all of that. And when we start impacting our families, start impacting our friends, when we start doing that, we then start literally, if you will, polluting the world, in a good way, the beauties of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what John Paul II was trying to renew within his whole homeland of Poland. And I'll quickly say, kind of deviating off of um, his speech in 1979, after that homily and after what he did there and his visits in Poland, that solidarity movement I mentioned earlier, where the, the, the workers, the lay people, were working in, in droves, if you will, to work for the dignity of the human person, working for, for laborers' rights and all of that, that's when it really started to, to have a lot of momentum. And literally 10 years, a little bit under that, from that, that homily there in, in, in Poland in 1979, in terms of at least the Eastern Bloc, communism goes away. And there's no coincidence that John Paul II's influence helped lead to the, the fall of communism in Europe at that time within at least that 10-year 10 10 year span. And so coming, at, coming into the last about five, ten minutes of, of my talk here, the couple things I want to give for, for our listening audience to ponder, the first is this, that John Paul II could also be known very concretely um, as the Pope of Suffering. And for those that, that remember this, near the end of his life, particularly from about the year 2000 to 2005, right before his passing, John Paul II was almost bedridden. And a lot of people didn't know if he could even carry out the roles of his pontificate. And there's been a lot of speculation as to why this was the case, but one that I think is pretty common and one that's pretty spot on is John Paul II helped the world see how to suffer well and how to suffer properly. Because whether we like it or not, suffering is going to be part of our human existence. And especially in our times today, thinking of all of our medical issues, political issues, social issues. If you are a practicing Catholic and have not experienced suffering, you are definitely in a very unique position, because I don't know anyone who has not faced suffering in the last five to ten years because of the climate that we're in. If you are practicing the faith and if you are truly being uh, following the, the love that, that God has for you, wherever you may be, you have experienced suffering. And what John Paul II did was near the end of his life, he showed the world how to suffer well. Now, I'm going to start, though, by saying, and this was May 13, 1981, was when Pope John Paul II was, there was an assassination attempt on him in Vatican Square. 
an assassin literally showed up in the Vatican, in the Vatican Square when he was going around and greeting the faithful and, and shot the Pope. And, and literally the bullet missed millimeters um, from major organs and, I believe, arteries where, where if it hit him, he would have died. And so John Paul II, May 13th, by the way, for, for, for everyone, is also the Feast of Our Lady of Fatima. And so John Paul II immediately on that day said, Our Lady of Fatima helped dodge the bullet from killing me. And in fact, the, the bullet recovered from John Paul II's body fits perfectly into the crown, <laughs> um, in, into where Our Lady of Fatima, the original crown that, that, that she has in her statue there in Portugal, the, the, the bullet literally, literally perfectly fits. And we could, that's, that's another conversation for another day. Uh, but there's no coincidence that Our Lady of Fatima, even though there was great suffering on that day, Our Lady of Fatima was there to help John Paul II, not only to survive, but also carry this message of how to suffer well. And a few things to bring out with John Paul II and, and suffering. One, he did so with great humility and grace. Again, you're talking about a man who was very athletic, very intellectual, very profound in his communication. Like, you would listen to him speak, and everyone would be quiet because they knew that something was special in that voice. And literally, at the end of his life, he couldn't do any of those things. He could barely walk. He could barely write. He could barely speak. But yet, he still kept a smile on his face. He still kept to his prayers. And he understood that that suffering offered to the cross was going to do something profound. And then on top of that, when you look at the other parts of his life, where right around 2000, especially in, in the United States, we started to see the, the first uh, in, the first instance, if you will, of bringing up the, the clergy sexual abuse scandal. And so Pope John Paul II also took that time of suffering to offer it up and saying, Lord, you know, let's help clean the church, essentially. Let's help, you know, bring to light some of these things so that then healing can occur and that the church can receive her healing because some have been very severely impacted. And that was another thing that John Paul II did, was show how to, to use that suffering as a way of offering it to the cross and letting God use it for the good of others. You know, I, I, just kind of our last thoughts here, Cody, before I, I let you go here, the point, some key takeaways of John Paul II's life, along with the suffering, along with that, hey, you can be a really cool person and be able to be also very in tune with God, because uh, he was a very popular, very popular man, not only amongst his friends, but also obviously within the Church. He had a deep love for the Rosary, deep love for the Rosary. As I mentioned earlier, Our Lady of Fatima and also just his own, you know, with his own mother passing at such a young age, he learned to rely on Our Blessed Lady and that Rosary to help him. And I think that's a great thing for us to take today, because um, you could never see him without a Rosary. It's just, it's just like St. Padre Pio, right? You could never see the man without a Rosary, because he knew the power of going to Our Lady um, and letting her bring our, bring our intentions to Jesus and the power that that brings. He was a visionary. He understood that the youth were important in the Church, and so he built things and, and kept things going so that the youth would feel uh, part of the, of the universal Church and actually be part of, of, of the future. He helped clarify some of the deep theology pieces that the Church has, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church, the only reason why we have that 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 nice that nice book because again it didn't exist in the past we have the catechism 
because of, of St. John Paul II, and also a guy by the name of Joseph Ratzinger, who turns into Pope Benedict XVI right after John Paul II dies. Those two men were very influential in creating that now universal norm of teaching for the Church. He was also a pope that canonized so many saints. <laughs> he, helped, he helped open the door so that people from all lands got to see individuals that they, used, that they were with, that, that they can be validated that they, they are in heaven through the norms and rules of the Church. And that was huge, because people started to realize, you know, these saints aren't just like foreign creatures that are so special to everyone else that it's a competition for second place. No, John, John Paul II helped us remember that sainthood can be for everyone, and by, by providing more opportunities for the process of canonization to be realized in so many people— that that helped the Holy Mother Church also recognize her universality and power. And lastly, for today, especially with, with radio and the technology that we have in the world today, John Paul II, going back to the very first line about, you know, open the doors for Christ, he understood the, that, that the threat of globalism in the sense of if God wasn't part of the picture, how nasty that could be. John Paul II was very big into, look, if we want to unite governments, if we want to unite cultures, we must do so by understanding them, by dialoguing with them, but also testifying to the truth of Christ. And also to technology, he mentioned very clearly that in order to meet this new evangelization, which I didn't talk a lot about just because of time, but really at the turn of the millennium, John Paul II said, we need to talk about this new evangelization this idea of bringing Christ uniquely into the world through the channels of things like technology and media. And the thing that we can remember here, and especially with like Divine Mercy Radio and our Carathon, the reason why these, these ministries exist is because these are the ways that the people of God today hear news, the people of God today hear information. And the more that we can imbue the culture with the message of Christ, the better off things will be. And despite of how tough culture gets, despite of how tough our world gets, as what John Paul II has, has testified in his life and also in his words, and I'll finish off with this for our listening audience, we cannot be afraid, we should not be afraid of what others can do, to, because as long as we have Jesus Christ with us, we cannot be touched, He will take care of things, and things will be better in the future, um, despite all the suffering in the world. So, Cody, that's that's all I got, man. So thank you for having me on. And, and uh, You know, I just wanted to maybe finish really quickly. Um, we do have a couple minutes, uh, George, um, and I think uh, your thoughts just on, uh, you know, as we're talking about suffering, it is my view that we don't, especially in the United States, we don't know how to suffer. I'm not saying that people don't suffer, uh, but we, you know, we, we have a medication for everything, you know, <laughs> whether our medication mm -hmm. is food, whether our medication is alcohol, whether our medication is drugs, um, or whether our medication is simply just medication. Uh, you know, as you were talking about uh, St. John Paul II and the great sufferings he had to endure, you know, what do you think is the difference between our culture and what he had to go through? Do you have any thoughts on that as you get ready to leave? us today oh put me on the spot that's a good that's a good <laughs> question I, i'll i'll say this cody the world wants us to survive john paul ii and our faith wants us to live oh that is that, that's probably the, the probably the best way that i can say it um medicine and all those other things only help us to survive when you really think about it because inevitably we're going to die <laughs> yeah. right physically at least yeah 
the faith in John Paul II reminded us that our job is not to survive, it's to live. It, it, it's to live in Jesus Christ, and that this world is not the only world. It's only a preparation for the next. And that conviction is, I think, is difficult to attain, right, Cody? And again, you, you understand this from your teaching of, of, of religion and other things with students and others. Like, it's difficult to, to help people understand that. But I think once we kind of open the door to get that realization open, it's almost like opening the, the blind on a window to see the light, you know, come through the doors. You know, if you're, the moment we're able to see that the faith is designed to help us live, I, I think that's where we ultimately separate ourselves from, from the world. Because I think about today and all the things that are in the news, it's always about survival, you know, like the death count comes up and, you know, and, and, and positivity rates and what have you. But the, the biggest thing that we forget is that our mission on Earth is not, is not to, to just survive, it's to live. And so if I had any answer that right now, again, being on the spot, and that's a great question, I think I would lean, lean on that. Okay, so let me see if I got that right, because I think this is a great quote that I'm going to try to remember. The world wants us to survive. The Church wants us to live. Yep. Yes. Awesome. Yes. There we go. There okay. we go. And I'm sure some other great person said it, not me. I just happened to think of it through the head. So, well, if but, um, if it was, then you know, I always count uh, everything up <laughs> to the Holy Spirit because anything Amen. that ever comes out good from me um, is is definitely Holy Spirit. Um, and so, so thank you very much. Yeah, I know I put you on the spot, but as an intelligent guy, I knew you'd have a great answer for us. So, thank the Holy Spirit for your witness today. We appreciate you being on, George. Uh, God bless you with your day, and I may God bless you for uh, all that you've done for us today. No, you bet. And again, God, God bless our listening audience. Thank you, Cody, for, for being a great host here. And again, folks, again, thank you, Cody. Thank you, Divine Mercy Radio. God bless you all. Have a great day, okay? Bye-bye. Thank you, George. You too. Thanks for tuning in to this week's One Body Stewarding God's Creation Show. If you're a business or service that can support this One Body Show, please note that your promotion would run three times during the show, which runs five times a week. Interested? Call 785-621-4110. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 105.7 KMDG Hayes, 101.7 KJDM Lindsborg Salina, 88.1 KRTT Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. One body, stewarding God's creation.